Welcome to the very first episode of Misdiagnosed. My name is Caitlin, and this is a project that is near and dear to my heart. We're going to be talking about the mental health industry, and it's an industry that I didn't even know existed and an industry that almost ruined my life. I was 30 years old and wasn't happy in my marriage. My ex-husband and I were back in 2018 testing out polyamory, trying to save our marriage. And I had been very busy over the last several years growing a multi-seven figure media company online and had been very successful, but my stress had gone through the roof. And I was simply not aware of how stress could affect me, could affect people in general, I didn't understand really what stress was. I always thought it was just having too much to do. And I just didn't have any realization. I had no clarity on what stress was actually doing. And I had left a career of personal training and nutrition counseling. I had been doing that for about three years alongside my freelance career as a professional proofreader, which is how I started my online business. And my stress level was a lot lower. I was putting my health first and exercising regularly. My diet was great. I was not struggling with any weight issues or fatigue, and I was in much better spirits. My ex-husband and I planned a whole year trip around South America, and it was the following summer that I noticed that I was super depressed, like just did not want to get out of bed. And I didn't know why. I thought it was a vitamin deficiency, but I had been drinking a lot, trying to build a business and things were, it was just, I was overwhelmed and I didn't feel like I could ask for help because it was my business. And having come from a Christian background, I didn't feel like it was okay to ask anything of your husband. So I found myself growing in resentment in some ways and not recognizing it. There were so many unrecognized emotions. And when we got back from South America, things got better because I was able to focus on my health more and taking better care of myself. But then about a year after we got back, my now ex-husband said, hey, I'm interested in trying polyamory. And I was like, hmm, it shocked me. I thought, well, it's better than getting divorced. Might as well try it. You know, I had no idea. I had no idea. And I went through like a three week period of like identity crisis when that was happening because I was scared and I didn't even recognize that feeling. I didn't recognize that emotion at all, this fear. But we tried it out and that was in September of 2017. By April of 2018, I had a few kind of situationships with people. <laughs> I didn't realize what I didn't know having gotten married at barely 24. I didn't realize what I didn't know about relationships. And my ex-husband met someone when we were hanging out with some friends at an art event. He kind of separated from the pack and met someone and fell in love with her. I September that same year. I had kind of put my foot down and told him, you know, I didn't want to sleep with him anymore, especially because he was saying to protect his new girlfriend that we needed to use condoms. And I kind of felt like he was treating me like a leper. Somebody I thought was my best friend who wouldn't ever abandon me seemed to be abandoning me. Of course, at that time, I wasn't aware of it. And we were on a trip to Cancun in late September of 2018. And he told me the second night that we were there that he wanted a divorce. And I immediately started crying. <laughs> I was really like avoiding the situation completely. Like I've been smoking a lot of weed because it made me feel good, made me be more present, focused on what I was doing. But it also made me a lot more confident and able to say what I did and didn't want. And he was not happy about that. And so I couldn't wait till he got home. 
he had to do it in the middle of the trip, tell me he wanted a divorce. And I started crying and it wasn't because I was sad. And I told him that I said, I'm not crying because I'm sad. I'm crying because I'm relieved. And it was such a relief to be able to admit that I wasn't happy. But in my wedding vows, I'd said I was never going to leave him. And I was determined to not go back on my word. And I thought I was doing the right thing, but I didn't realize the ways that I was abandoning myself. So I thanked him. I said, thank you for being brave enough to have this conversation. And I was just elated. You know, I texted a few friends and I was like, we're getting divorced. And they're like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm so happy. Like it was just all just influx of emotions and feelings. I never thought I was going to be free again. I couldn't recognize the ways that I was lying to myself, trying to keep him comfortable, trying to keep myself comfortable and keep our family comfortable. There was so much fear at play there and I just could not recognize it. When people talk about divorce and they say how horrible it is, I had no understanding of that. And you can't have an understanding of it until you go through it. And it's different for everybody because people get divorced for different reasons and they get married for different reasons. But long story short, the amount of weed (laughs) that I was smoking, vaping rather, and the influx of emotions resulted in me experiencing what psychiatry calls mania and psychosis. And it scared some of my colleagues and people that I've been working with at the time. I was on a business trip in Austin and one of my colleagues at the time called my ex-husband who had just left me three weeks prior. He's moving out of the house while I'm on this business trip and he gets a phone call and says, your wife's acting like a kindergartner. I was making, you know, videos, posting things about understanding what love was. And I really was understanding love for the very first time ever. I can still remember those videos, still remember how extremely excited and happy I was to be free and being able to become who I wanted to be because I knew I couldn't become who I really wanted to be while I was married to that man. At the time, I blamed him for not being able to be who I wanted to be. You know, he would tell me that I was moving too fast and had to slow down and nobody could keep up with me and blaming me for him being uncomfortable. And I was just rebelling against that, I think. Anyway, when he got that phone call, his decision was to fly out to Texas from Florida, call my friends, my closest friends, and have them fly out too. Call my mom, have her fly out. Call my sister, have her fly out. And call the police and find me among a bunch of concert goers after the Austin City Limits Music Festival. The last concert was Metallica and it had just finished and I was hanging out on the pedestrian bridge right in the middle of downtown Austin. And I guess it's downtown. Um, People who live in Austin will know what bridge I'm talking about. It's an amazing bridge over the water. There's tons of people, live music. It was amazing. And I was making some videos and just having conversations with people. But because of that phone call, they thought I was putting myself in danger. And so they called the police. And meanwhile, I had called the police because I witnessed somebody like wipe out on an electric scooter. I called the police and I thought the police were there to help these people that they wiped out. She hit her head. She was on her way. She wasn't hurt at all. It was in my book, it was a miracle. I mean, she was going 25 miles an hour and like completely smacked her head on the concrete and was feeling pain. And then a nurse appears out of nowhere and was able to talk her through. That was right there. And so when the, the police showed up, I had no idea they were looking for me. So I started talking about how this woman that I called the police for <laughs> had wiped out and recovered. And it was amazing. And I was just, you know, doing my thing. But I had no idea that somebody had called them until they're like, can you come with us? And I was like, okay, like 
fine. And so I walked with this woman, this police officer, and there's an ambulance sitting there and they wanted to do some tests. Maybe my blood pressure was a little high because I was like amped, you know, and I got off the ambulance and I was so surprised to see my ex-husband and all these people I knew standing there. And I was like, what the heck is going on? I started crying because I was, I was clearly overwhelmed with everything that had been going on and had a lot of positive feelings. And I think I was just overwhelmed with those feelings, but they hadn't been there. They hadn't seen anything that I'd seen. They'd only gone off of what had been told to them and the things that they'd seen me posting. And my ex-husband was worried that I was going to be affecting the business. I was paying for his lifestyle at the time. And I mean, here we are four years later and business is still going strong. What can I say? I think there was a lot of fear on his part and he acted out of fear and I know he was doing the best he could with what he had. So I was like, what are you guys doing here? Like, well, we need to go someplace and talk. And so I just get in the car with them and they take me to the emergency room and they check me into the psych ward. They're like, we just want to run some tests. And I'm like, fine. I'm like, everything's going to be, I'm not crazy. Things are going to be fine. So I go undergo the testing. And then when I get in there and I realize that the staff is already assuming that I'm crazy based on what other people have told them, they're not taking anything I say seriously. And that's when I get angry and I start yelling at them because I realized that they weren't taking me seriously and listening to what I had to say. And then I didn't realize at the time, but I know now that they simply view anything you say as evidence of your mental illness. And I didn't find out until after I got out that they had told my now ex-husband that I likely had schizophrenia and would need lifelong care. And I didn't know that. Nobody told me anything. They're like, we need to take you to another unit for observation. And they weren't giving me answers. And I had to sit in the waiting room of a mental hospital without water because they were, quote, out of water for three hours. They asked me for a credit card like this is a for-profit mental hospital. And they asked me for a credit card. I said, no, I don't want to be here. You call my ex-husband if you want this to be paid for. Like you really put someone in a place against their will and ask them to pay for it too. It's absurd. So that was making me even angrier. And I'm in, I think I was there for four nights. It was a living hell. There was mold growing on the ceiling. This is, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It's Cross Creek in Austin, Texas. And I've tried to get my records from there, but they haven't responded to any of my phone calls. No one responds to anything. They didn't diagnose me with anything because I quickly realized that if I spoke to them about what was happening at home, they would just tell me I was crazy and needed to take a pill. Like there was one of the doctors who told me that it was kind of miraculous the way that happened too, because the doctor told me that she would let me out if I took the medication. She literally told me that. This is the doctor on Skype. And she was like frozen on the screen and she didn't speak English very well, but she told me that I would be able to get out if I complied with the medication that they wanted me to take. But then when I asked the nurse, can I have the medication that they want me to take? Cause I was like, I'll do anything to get out. I'll do anything. It's, it's horrible in there. It's disgusting in there. But in the notes, the nurse is like, there's nothing listed here. There's no medication listed here. I'm like, okay. But when I found out that my ex-husband had gone home and I couldn't get out unless there was a family member to escort me, I was livid. And I called him and I was like stumbling with my words, crying, begging him to come back, not to leave me there. And that's when I started, like my mind kind of started to play tricks on me in a way because I started to feel the trail. And I knew that my ex-husband wanted to start his own business and to be successful with it and have his parents be proud of him. And that was kind of a under underlying thing that had been going on. And so I started to feel like, oh, he wants me to be in here so he can take over the business. 
And that feeling only compounded when I got home from Texas a couple of days later and I got a phone call from someone I'd worked with that was very respected in my industry. And I just happened to have a phone call with her and she told me that my husband had reached out to her and said that I was probably had schizophrenia, would need lifelong care, and that I was going to be made silent partner in the business. And that's when I was like, he's public enemy number one. (laughs) And I freaked out. I was like, it never crossed my mind to to call him and be like, tell me what happened, because he was the enemy at that point. And (laughs) it was, I mean, divorce is crazy is all I got to say. But long story short, I was hospitalized against my will three additional times. And it was only the beginning of this year, 2022, that I started realizing, hey, this is not what it seems. I started gathering all of my records. And when I realized that I had an infection and autoimmune encephalitis is what I got diagnosed with, an infection, they had called it autoimmune encephalitis. But what my psychiatrist at that point did not know was that the autoimmune encephalitis was actually encephalitis caused by inflammation of my nervous system because of the Epstein-Barr virus. I had off the chart levels of antibodies in my system that were causing inflammation, causing anxiety, and it could have been happening for many, many years. And I've been diagnosed with a rare blood disorder, a cancer related to leukemia that affected my platelets. And when I requested all my lab work, I'm still struggling to get my lab work back from a couple of the places that I'd been. They're just not answering. They don't care. They really don't. They got their money. Of the records that I did get back, including that first time in the hospital in Austin, there were inflammation markers. So they were very, very strong clues that there was something underlying physically going on that was causing these issues, not to mention the trauma. And so more details I'll share about my additional trips to the hospital and how I got from being diagnosed with bipolar so many times because in this subsequent hospitalizations. That's the diagnosis that was given to me, either bipolar one or bipolar two or bipolar undetermined six times, six different doctors diagnosed me with that. And they had one thing in common. They did not have a full picture of my mental health, my history. They didn't have a full picture of my health in general. They didn't have a full picture of what was going on in my life emotionally, socially. They had no clue. They spent five minutes speaking to me, said, oh, you're talking really fast. You have pressured speech. Have you ever been on this antipsychotic? They put me on all these antipsychotic medications, forced me to take them. And I couldn't get out unless I took the medication all four times that I was hospitalized. And there was even one time I was in the emergency room and I said, please scan my brain. I want to know what's going on before you force me to take these medications. I know they're dangerous. And they said, oh, we don't need to. (laughs) And so, yeah, that's why I'm doing this show. And this first episode is going into what the fuck is psychiatry anyway. And that was just a very brief, as brief as I could keep it for the last four years of adventures, should I say, of how psychiatry almost ruined my life. And I can remember seeing commercials for drugs on TV and seeing antidepressant commercials and thinking to myself, man, I don't know how life could be so bad that somebody want to kill themselves. But I will tell you that for two and a half years in the last four years, until about January of 2022, I was extremely depressed and at many times suicidal not wanting to be alive because I didn't feel alive. The virus had gotten so strong 
and I was taking Xanax to deal with the anxiety. That was the drug that I, that I was prescribed. And I was given by a psychiatrist, even a more holistic psychiatrist who prescribed me a bunch of supplements as well. He was still prescribing me Xanax for the anxiety because he hadn't made the connection between the virus until I read a book called Medical Medium. And we'll be talking more about that on the show as well. But these psychiatric drugs that are forced on people in mental health facilities and by their psychiatrists under threat of who knows what, you know, psychiatrists have the power to put you away because if they believe, if you tell a psychiatrist that you want to kill yourself, they will, they're by law required to, in Florida, it's called Baker Act. If they're afraid that you're going to hurt yourself, they can make you go into a, a psychiatric ward and you basically have to prove to them that you're not in danger of hurting yourself or hurting other people. Psychiatrists have that power and a lot of people don't know that. And that's how I ended up getting put into mental hospitals many times as I did. They had their own ideas on what makes someone in danger, right? <laughs> So I never really thought about what is psychiatry until I decided I wanted to do this podcast. I wanted to tell people the truth about what psychiatry is, how it's powered by an industrial complex of these pharmaceutical drug companies that want to make money and how they do that. And it's it's been a shocking journey so far. As I'm sitting here at my desk in my little studio, my house here in Winter Park, I'm surrounded by books and I have been blown away by the things that I've read. I've right now the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the second edition, published by the American Psychiatric Association in 1968. Now, this is the sixth printing of that book that came out in 1973, I believe. And it this one still says in it that homosexuality is a mental disorder. And it wouldn't be until the seventh printing of the second edition that they would take that out. They took out homosexuality as a mental disorder because it's not a mental disorder. It's not. It's simply behavior that our culture at that time did not approve of. And as I've been going through this book and I've got a book on eugenics, I've got the DSM, the same book that I just told you about. I have the third version of that the revised third edition that came out a little bit later and it's way thicker. I mean, there's a lot more disorders. I've got the DSM-5 and then I've got a textbook of psychiatry that came out and I think it was the 70s or 80s. It looks like it might've come out in the 80s. I'm not sure. And then I'm reading books by psychiatrists and other doctors like Toxic Psychiatry by Dr. Peter Bregan. I heard him speak on the Man in America podcast and I was just blown away. I had to read everything that this guy has ever. I mean, these are psychiatrists that teach at universities that are being honest about what psychiatry is and how toxic it can be. That's not to say there's no holistic psychiatrists out there who are focused on the actual meaning of the word psychiatry. And a lot of people don't know this, but psychiatry is from the Greek words meaning mind and soul healing. That's the dictionary definition. It says that the study and treatment of mental illness, emotional disturbance, and abnormal behavior. That's the dictionary definition of psychiatry. The Greek roots, which some dictionaries will give you that. It means mind and soul healing. But if you go to the American Psychiatric Association, their website, and the APA is, they're the ones who publish this book that is basically the Bible of psychiatry called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. They say that psychiatry is the branch of medicine focused on the diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of mental, emotional, and behavioral disorders. That's like such a loaded definition. It's not a real definition because psychiatry isn't scientific at all. It's pseudoscientific. And so 
I've got my notes here in front of me of my research. And that's really what this podcast is about. It's uncovering the truth behind this industry that almost ruined my life and is currently ruining the lives of many millions of people in our country and in the world outside of our country and is in danger of ruining many more unless people wake up and realize the truth. So psychiatry is focused on the diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of mental, emotional, and behavioral disorders. Does anybody actually prevent these disorders? Can they prevent the disorders? How do they prevent the disorders? So those are all questions we're going to be considering. Further in the American Psychiatric Association's website, they say that a psychiatrist is a medical doctor who specializes in mental health, including substance use disorders. Psychiatrists are qualified to assess both the mental and physical aspects of psychological problems. I can tell you in all the times that I've been to see psychiatrists, very few to none of them assessed any of the physical aspects of my psychological problems. And they certainly didn't assess the emotional aspects, which isn't even mentioned in this definition from the APA website. They don't talk about the emotions about it at all. And does being qualified to assess mean they actually do a good job assessing? And when was the last time your run-of-the-mill psychiatrist ever ordered lab work to check for anything physical that could be contributing to this so-called disorder that you have? Like for me, it was inflammation in the brain that was caused by viral infections. I had fatigue because of viral and bacterial infections because of all the stress from the trauma of the divorce and the depression I had a hearing problem they didn't know about. They stuck, you know, one doctor stuck the little thingy in your ear to test for volume and can you hear the tones? And of course I could hear the tones, but those tests don't check for clarity and the other frequencies. And so I didn't know that I had high frequency hearing loss that was contributing to the anxiety and depression and the fatigue I was feeling. The doctors that prescribe drugs in a psychiatric setting, they're likely completely unaware of your emotional state and home life. They don't have a full picture of your history. The APA's website says that people seek psychiatric help for many reasons. The problems can be sudden, like a panic attack, frightening hallucinations, thoughts of suicide, or hearing voices, and they put voices in quotes. Or they may be more long-term problems, such as feelings of sadness, hopelessness, or anxiousness that never seem to lift, or problems functioning, causing everyday life to feel distorted or out of control. And they have a whole section about what treatments psychiatrists use. And it says psychiatrists use a variety of treatments, including various forms of psychotherapy, medications, psychosocial interventions, like getting hospitalized against your will, and other treatments like electroconvulsive therapy, depending on the needs of each patient. I can tell you in my experience, and I know I'm not alone in this, that psychiatrists do not care about your needs. They are very aware of all the lists of symptoms in books like the DSM, primarily the DSM, and their job is to memorize these lists of symptoms and to know what symptoms correlate with what so-called disorder that's in these books, this manual, and prescribe a drug that is supposed to make that go away. Now, continuing on with the information about treatments on the APA's website, it says most medications are used by psychiatrists in much the same way that medications are used to treat high blood pressure or diabetes, which those are biological problems. And this is where we're getting into what the issue is here, the main issue. After completing thorough evaluations, psychiatrists can prescribe medications to help treat mental disorders. That's a key word there, help. While the precise mechanism of action of psychiatric medications is not fully understood, 
So they admit this right here on the website. They may beneficially modulate chemical signaling and communication within the brain, which may reduce some symptoms of psychiatric disorders. Now, here's the alarming part of this definition. It assumes that not only does it admit that the mechanism of action of the medications is not fully understood, which is dangerous in itself. Like the FDA approved these drugs and they think that that makes them safe, but how can something be safe if it's not fully understood? It also assumes that the drugs may beneficially modulate chemical signaling and communication within the brain. That assumes that the reason that you're experiencing symptoms that they've labeled a disorder originate from chemical signaling and communication within the brain. That's the whole biochemical imbalance theory. It assumes that you are experiencing these symptoms because there's a problem within the brain. And so they give you these psychiatric drugs, which reduce the symptoms. But what the drugs actually do is affect your brain chemicals. So you don't feel the pain of the emotional, psychological issues that you're going through. And that's the main reason why I shared as much as I did about my own trauma of going through the divorce and not knowing how to handle the emotions that came with it, the good and the bad emotions is because many of us are in the same boat. We don't know how to handle the emotions that we've never experienced before. We lack the language to describe it. And so we have what's called, what used to be called actually in the DSM-2, they had all these mental disorders that were, I would say, more properly labeled as reactions, not disorders, reactions, because that's exactly what they are. You have behavior that is odd (laughs) because you are reacting to things in your environment, emotionally, socially, and whatnot, that you don't know how to handle. You're reacting. And we're humans. We don't have an instruction manual. And so what's happening is these psychiatrists assume that this is a disorder in the brain. Something's wrong in the brain that's causing this. And that's not true at all. And so they give you these drugs that will modulate the chemical signaling and communication, but it actually short circuits all of that. And it has the same effect on the brain as shock therapy and lobotomy. So it causes basically a chemical lobotomy It suppresses certain parts of your brain. So you don't feel, you don't feel the anxiety. And so, yeah, it reduces some symptoms of your psychiatric disorder, your anxiety disorder, your depression, whatever it is. Some of the symptoms may be reduced, but your brain is being damaged. That's why the symptoms are being reduced. It says as well, patients on long-term medication will need to meet with their psychiatrist periodically to monitor the effectiveness of the medication and any potential side effects. There's always going to be side effects. And what's alarming and what I've discovered in my research, and I'm sure we'll have an episode on this, no pun intended, (laughs) is that when these drugs are FDA approved and they go through studies, none of the studies are performed longer than six to 12 weeks, sometimes only four weeks. And the studies that are submitted to the FDA or approval, they don't have any data on long-term effects showing how these drugs, when you're on them for years and years and years, sometimes decades, sometimes people are on these drugs their whole lives, affect the brain and damage the brain. But that's becoming more mainstream knowledge. People are starting to realize, whoa, like they try to get off of the drugs and they can't because they've become physically, chemically dependent on the drugs. After the drugs have been causing more side effects than positive reduction of symptoms, you know, and there's a trade-off, it's not a cure, but we're not being told that there's underlying physical causes for a lot of these so-called disorders. 
we're not being taught the tools we need to handle and to make sense of the emotions that we're feeling when we go through traumatic events in our lives. Why? Because that doesn't make money. Not like drugs, making people dependent on drugs take them every single month for the rest of your life, your recurring revenue. And my background in marketing and growing an online business, recurring revenue is very valuable. And so you don't become someone that they want to help. You become someone that affects their bottom line. If you're on a drug that you're dependent on for the rest of your life, you are now a cog in the wheel of psychiatry in that industry. And if you get well, even if it takes four years, like it did for me, if you get well and you don't experience psychiatric symptoms anymore, you have no need for the drugs that they want you to take. And they say that you need. I also read an article in my research for this first episode blog article. I found on scientificamerican.com. It was a guest post by psychiatrist Nathaniel Morris. He says psychiatry departments have been changing their names to include scientific terms like neuroscience and behavioral health. These language shifts help psychiatry sound more reputable. Indeed, science and evidence should be the underpinnings of our profession. Yet a simpler option might work even better for renaming the field, mental health care. I imagine most of us would choose to have a mental health disorder over a psychiatric disorder, even if it were the same thing. Patients might be more likely to seek and accept treatment for mental health as opposed to psychiatric treatment. Mental health unit sounds far less frightening than psychiatric ward. I'm just blown away by reading this because in my marketing knowledge, I know how strong of an influence words can have. That's all marketing is, is communication that controls people in very basic sense. You know, you can persuade people to do something that will help them, but you can also persuade people to do the thing that you want them to do, whether that's good for them or not. And that's what the psychiatric industrial complex is doing. The mental health industry is is an industry. It's a multi-billion dollar industry that is motivated to get as many people taking their drugs as possible. And they do that by convincing us that we have all these disorders. They convince us that we need their drugs, that we need to come see them to manage our so-called disorder. We're told often that these disorders are lifelong and that they require long-term maintenance and control, but that's not true at all. It is not true at all. And the purpose of this podcast is to shine light on every aspect of that. And this is just the beginning. This is just the tip of the iceberg for what there is to shine light on. So further in the article, he says, psychiatry means healing of the psyche, which stems from psyche, the Greek goddess of the soul. So we talked about how psychiatry is the Greek words for meaning soul healing. He says, it's a romantic notion, but we don't treat patients' souls. We treat diagnosable diseases of the brain. And that's the thing that I've learned in my research and reading Toxic Psychiatry by Dr. Peter Bregan and other books like by Thomas Dawes and actually going through the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, researching the anti-psychiatry movement and reading the essays on their website and other critical views on psychiatry from psychiatrists themselves. Mental disorders are not diseases of the brain. There's no neuroscientific data to back up the existence of any of the disorders in the DSM. The use of the word psychiatry was virtually, there's no mentions of it from like 1800 until like 1900. And as the 1900s commenced, you can see, and anybody can find this online, use over time for the word psychiatry, it skyrockets right around, looks like 1930, 1940. And then it's just kind of leveled out since the 70s. And it looks like now what's happening is people are calling it mental health instead. 
I read another article by a doctor named Elliot Martin, Elliot Martin Jr. Actually, he's the director of medical psychiatry at the Newton Wesley Hospital in Newton, Massachusetts. And he's also an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Tufts University School of Medicine in Boston. And he says, most of medicine today at best remains pseudoscientific, relying on an evidence base that changes on a near daily basis. It very frequently contradicts itself and is easily manipulated by any number of industries. At worst, it is dogmatic. Like Al Capone says, it's right because I say it's right. And this makes for far more potential danger. There are many psychiatrists who do so desperately wish to be neuroscientists. They do so want to be real doctors. They call themselves neuropsychiatrists. They establish departments of neuropsychiatry and even hide behind journals titled neuroscience. They want to point to an MRI with confidence and say, see there, we've isolated the source of your self-loathing to the right frontal cortex. A simple excision and you'll be fine. He says, witness the current bandwagon of interventional and neuromodulatory psychiatry. The parade includes the tried and true electroconvulsive therapy, along with the shinier, newer transcranial magnetic stimulation, side by side with the rebranding of the old deep brain stimulation, psychosurgical ablations, vagal nerve stimulation, IVIG, and ketamine infusions, all of which are potentially well and good, if not nearly as miraculous as once hoped or advertised, except that these techniques mislead both patient and psychiatrist away from the heart of the patient's problems. That is, they lead once again toward neurology and away from psychiatry, ignoring the inconvenient fact that what ties psychiatry and neurology together is that neither field can offer lasting cures. Yeah. I mean, they're trying to lean it into scientific explanations, you know, biological explanations. They're saying, oh, it's a field of medicine. We're treating diagnosable diseases of the brain and the diseases don't exist. There's no proof for them. What was interesting about this particular article, Dr. Martin's article from psychiatrictimes.com, it's titled, is it time to do away with psychiatry? There was an editor's note. And the editor said, these are some quotes I pulled out, that psychiatry is not a pseudoscience, but rather a young and exciting field of science with a mission of furthering our understanding of the brain slash mind continuum with the goal of decreasing human suffering by understanding and providing evidence-based treatments related to the brain. It says psychiatry has established its place in the center of medicine as ultimately the mind slash body complex is an interconnected and interdependent system. So I just have a question about that. Why do so many psychiatrists only prescribe drugs and never look at the brain? And that's true. I read the book, The End of Mental Illness by Dr. Daniel Amen. He's the founder of the Amen Clinics, which I went to in March of 2021 to get my brain scan. And I actually saw evidence of traumatic brain injury on my brain as a result of the inflammation and possibly use of Xanax actual damage to my brain that was causing these issues that I was dealing with. And I have been on a healing journey ever since. But he said in his book that psychiatry is virtually the only medical specialty that never looks at the organ it treats. Virtually never. Yeah, he said virtually never looks at the organ it supposedly treats. And that's a paraphrased quote from the introduction of his book, The End of Mental Illness. They don't look at the brain. They say they treat the brain, but they don't look at it because if you look at it, you can't see anything that they say exists. You can't see the chemical imbalance that they say is causing your depression or your self-loathing. They can't see it because it doesn't exist. Now, another quote from the editor's note from Dr. Martin's blog on Psychiatric Times, it says, 20 years ago, acute psychosis with delusions and hallucinations ultimately diagnosed today as NMDA receptor autoimmune encephalitis 
would have been treated with antipsychotic medication with a poor response. Today, we treat this rare etiology to acute psychosis with plasmapheresis, high-dose steroids and intravenous immunoglobulin with rapid improvement. I was diagnosed with autoimmune encephalitis, and I was prescribed immunoglobulin intravenous treatment, but it turned out to be Epstein-Barr virus that was wreaking havoc on my central nervous system, my thyroid, and my liver, and I didn't need immunoglobulin at all. Autoimmune and autoimmune disorders, autoimmunity is a theory. And I read in the Medical Medium books by Anthony William. It's a fantastic book, Medical Medium. If you have been struggling with these mystery illnesses, mental disorders, whatnot, pick up a copy of Medical Medium. It will change your life. It radically transformed my understanding of my own body, my mind. And it's the reason that I'm sitting here today with a clear mind able to do this podcast. Autoimmunity is a theory. And I learned this by reading Medical Medium. It's a theory. Your body does not attack itself. It's actually attacking pathogens. But if the work has not been done to uncover the existence of the pathogens, the doctors that are treating you aren't aware that the pathogens are there, they're going to assume it's autoimmunity. The body is way too intelligent to attack itself. It attacks pathogens, but it looks like they're attacking itself because the doctors aren't aware that there's a pathogen there. And we frankly, our testing is so elementary. It's so archaic. Testing doesn't exist even to detect Epstein-Barr in the organ systems. There's only testing for the blood. And so if there's active virus in your organs, but not in your bloodstream, then you're going to see antibodies that most doctors will say, oh, you have antibodies, that, but you don't have an active infection. So it's just evidence of past infection. But if your antibodies were through the roof, like mine were, then that's definitely a sign that you've got an active infection somewhere. But what happens a lot of times is these doctors, well-meaning as they are, will prescribe other treatments to treat a thyroid disorder by giving you artificial hormones and steroid treatments. This is exactly what desiccated pig thyroid is, which is what I was prescribed. I was prescribed bioidentical progesterone to increase the progesterone. And these doctors didn't know, I didn't know that hormones are exactly what viruses love to feed on. And so having an active virus in my thyroid, in my liver, and then giving myself these hormones and steroids was just making all of my gut issues, all the anxiety, the migraines, everything was getting worse. So ultimately I fired that well-meaning holistic MD and followed the protocols in the medical medium book. And that's how I solved my issues without any medication. So today I'm coming at you doing this podcast, doing this first episode. It's June 20th, 2022. And I have stopped all medications And it's been that way for a couple of months now. And my brain is clearer than it has been in the last four years, completely free of all medications. And I've been prescribed 13 medications, 13 different medications. I've been diagnosed with multiple different mental disorders that we'll go into later in the show. Uh, Not this episode probably, but we'll go over. There's so much to share about the craziness that's happened to me in the psychiatric industry. And I'm grateful for all of it. I mean, it was absolute garbage going through it, but now that I'm through it and I understand what was happening, I see why. I see why, because I was meant to go through it so I could help other people go through it too. I would tell everybody, like, this is what's going on with me. I, I couldn't not talk about how I felt. And I was, you know, convinced I had a personality disorder at one point because that's all I could think about was how I could help myself. And I did not care what anybody else was going through, what was happening in my business. I didn't care about any of it because all I wanted to do was get out of the situation I was in, but nobody was able to tell me what was going on. 
but I never gave up and I kept looking for answers. And eventually things entered my life. I showed the universe my intention of wanting to figure out what was going on. I do believe in the law of attraction. When you have good intentions and you put that energy out into the universe, the things that you're seeking will find you. Somebody gave me a copy of the medical medium book and said, you'd love this. And I was still taking hormones at the time, thinking that I was helping myself. And that was that book. It told me that taking those hormones was actually making me worse. And so I had the faith to stop taking the hormones and that changed everything. It was amazing. We'll do an episode, I'm sure, and we can actually talk about mental illnesses and how they're actually linked to underlying viral infections many, many times. So many of us are under a lot of stress and that is exactly what gives rise to these viruses is our immune system goes down as a result of the stress and these viruses that we already have on board, having gotten them when we were kids and they're dormant in our system, they're in the herpes virus family. There's so many different strains in them now too. They are allowed to proliferate and to grow. And that's exactly how we end up with... (laughs) increasing symptoms of so-called mental disorders and diseases of the neurological system. They get into your organ systems, they get into your nervous system, and they cause symptoms of anxiety, depression, fatigue, all these mystery illnesses. But then we just get given drugs for mental disorders that don't exist. <laughs> if we were to actually attack the cause of the problem with these viruses that are on board, then we might be able to get rid of our symptoms exactly the way I did. So Back to the article from Dr. Elliot Martin, he says that billions of dollars have now been devoted in recent years to exploring what amounts to various euphemisms, molecular psychiatry, genetic psychiatry, translational psychiatry, all subheadings of the grander movement towards the so-called biological psychiatry. This industry, they're desperate to find biological causes for the mental disorders. And he says, the bureaucratic foundation has been laid. Another inquisitorial framework is in place. And Lord help the poor shrink who points out the obvious. The psychopathology remains a social disease. And he also said psychiatry, this is uh, just another quote I pulled out. Psychiatry at this moment, anyway, remains blood test and imaging free. And I did go to the aiming clinics in Atlanta and got a spec scan done. And what they're doing is trying to wrap in the neuroscience and find evidence of, you know, the brain inflammation and Dr. Daniel Amen's book, the end of mental illness goes into a lot of detail on types of things that can cause storms in the brain. And one of them are emotional issues. It's hormones can cause storms in the brain, toxins, inhaling toxic fumes. And that could be hairspray or perfume or scented candles. I grew up around scented candles. My family had a candle business. I have no idea how that stuff affected me. I know I struggle with anxiety most of my life. I struggle with lots of weird diseases. I got scarlet fever, pneumonia, this weird herpes virus all over my face, just bizarre things and a lot of anxiety and relationship issues I didn't know how to deal with. Well, this is a good place to wrap up the first episode. I have a lot more to share with you. So we're going to reconvene talking more about psychiatry and introducing aspects of anti-psychiatry and critical psychiatry movements, talking about what is mental illness and how it's been redefined and defined and redefined over and over again, kind of the tailwind of what we just spoke about in an article from Dr. Martin on psychiatrictimes.com. But psychiatry is is not what it pretends to be in the world, and we're going to be getting to the bottom of it on misdiagnosed. So thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to sharing this journey with you. See you next episode. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to Misdiagnosed. If this show has helped you in any way, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Sharing your experience will help others who are lost in the darkness find their own way out of the science of lies. Please note that while I may go in-depth into medical topics and have acquired substantial medical knowledge, I am not a medical doctor. I'm a researcher. I'm a messenger of hope for other survivors of industrialized psychiatry. Because of how toxic psychiatric drugs are, it can be extremely dangerous, even life-threatening, to suddenly stop taking certain drugs. This is especially true for antidepressants, antipsychotics, and benzodiazepines. The longer you've taken the drug, the more dangerous withdrawal can be. If you want to heal your brain and soul naturally, the way it was designed to do, please seek the help of a compassionate and patient-centered physician to start the process of withdrawing from them as safely as possible. It will take time for your brain to reacclimate to life without the drugs, and there are doctors out there who will support you in your quest to save your brain. Never give up. You can heal.